0: hello and god bless you this is pastor jeremy and what a delight to be with you on this wednesday december the 2nd of 2020 we'd like to welcome all of our listeners wherever you are tuning in from Uh, we are so honored to have you with us to join us as we study and glean from the word of god this has been a uh, a new beginning this week Really, a, a culmination, I believe, of everything that's been going in, in, in these podcasts since the month of March, really uh, heading into another uh, where God has been taking us throughout these months and where we're at today. We are talking about the coming of the Lord. I don't think there's a greater subject or a greater, um, more needed subject in this hour than to speak about his coming. That is our duty. That is our duty as preachers, as servants of God, to declare the coming of the Lord. And what we're asking the Lord, what we're trying to do is get a better understanding of what Jesus said and what his word says concerning the days, concerning the things that are before us. So I'm excited about this Bible study. I pray that you have been blessed. If you're just joining us, I, I, I tell you to please listen to Monday and Tuesday. And you will be able to be blessed and follow through with what is being talked about this week. In our panel today joining us is Brother Marty and Brother Fernando. And as always, it is an honor to be able to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we continue our study in the book of Thessalonians. We are excited. and We are ready. And I'll leave it to you to share as we Study the word of God together.
1: Amen. We're looking forward to today's study as we continue exploring the subject of the coming of the Lord, the pre-tribulation rapture, um, the the things that the Bible predicts will come upon the end time church, and really examining uh if, you know, does the Bible or did the Bible or does the Bible teach us um that the end time Church will not have to go through uh, the tribulation, and that's what we're examining. Uh, we've taken it from 2 Thessalonians because in those First uh, and Second Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul reveals so much concerning end time events, and that's what we're exploring. And we're going to uh, continue as we embark on Part Three today. We're going to be studying our gathering together unto Him. We're going to start exploring uh the doctrine of the rapture and see what we can find out and what is actually taught in the scriptures Uh, again some of the things that we share might uh, cause some of you to get a little uncomfortable or even angry Uh, but that's not our intent Uh, our intent is to search the scriptures and to look at the plain meaning and the plain sense of what the scripture teaches us and then leave it up to you to draw your own conclusions Uh, but we will lay forth our case from a biblical point of view, and that is what we're excited to do today as we go on to the third third in our series. Uh, and today's title is Our Gathering Together Unto Him. So with that in mind, if you have your Bibles, we encourage you to open them, please, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we left off yesterday. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he would please read to us uh, verse 1 uh, to verse 3. As we begin our Bible study
0: today, we ask the Lord's blessing in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy. Amen. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition
1: amen so we beseech you brothers by the coming of our lord jesus christ and by our gathering together unto him i want to begin by reading a a little statement from the article we read yesterday uh, by a uh, sister named Sarah, on her article concerning uh, uh Tinboom and what Tinboom taught concerning the rapture uh this is what she said she says listen we've we 've been sold here in America on a soft and an easy Christianity, especially when you compare it to the millions who are sev- severely persecuted around the world uh and w- what we 've been sold on. Really doesn't require much from us. And it also promises that we will be, quote unquote, raptured before the really awful stuff starts. Sounds like what the Chinese Christians were hearing just before communism took over their nation in 1949. And the widespread torture and mass murder of Christians was proliferated. If we reflect honestly, even today, living in China as a Christian, is a daunting thing indeed. I believe she said concerning Cory Tinboom that Cory Tinboom was right and indeed it is coming to the shores of the United States of America. Haunting words, uh and powerful words, and and really something that we are exploring in earnest, especially as we see what's taking place in our country and around the world in this most incredible year twenty twenty. You know, there's a great debate with the evangelical circle in the American church concerning the teaching of the pre-tribulation rapture. That's what we've been studying. And simply put, it's the idea that there's a seven-year time period called the tribulation and the great tribulation. According to this teaching, the tribulation is is a three-and-a-half-year period, basically of peace. How they rectify calling it a tribulation and peace at the same time, I don't know. But they call it a a three-and-a-half-year period of peace, (laughs) which will be led by the Antichrist and the false prophet. Uh, And in their teaching, they then say that will transition and then become the great tribulation, which is another three-and-a-half-year period for a total of seven years. And what they teach is that we will be taken out uh, before this seven-year period, occurs and that's what has you know come to be known as famously as the rapture so they teach us these things and then they say but don't worry about all that stuff um because before the last seven years uh, the lord is going to come secretly they teach multiple comings of the lord they teach first a secret coming and then they teach uh a second coming and they try to make a a a distinction between the two events and we're going to explore that today and see if that's so But the Lord is, they say, secretly coming, and he's going to take us all away. And then we're going to go up into heaven, and we're going to have a dinner. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to occur then, and we're going to have dinner for seven years. And as far as the poor people that are left behind, well, they say that's really what they get for rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then they go on to say that after the seven-year dinner, Uh, The Lord's going to tell us, okay, dinner's up, time to go back to the earth, because things are getting really bad down there, and I need to go put a stop to it. Oh, and also, by the way, there's a few Jews in Jerusalem who finally realize that I'm the Messiah, so I have to go save them too. So in a nutshell, that's basically the teaching. He's going to come secretly, take us away, we go have dinner for seven years while all hell breaks loose on the earth. And at the end of that seven years, I don't know if we have dessert or not, they never specify, but when the dinner ends, uh, then we're all going to like head out to the stables, get on our white horses, and we're going to come back in a blaze of glory with the Lord uh, to rescue the Jews in Israel and, uh, and and all the rest of it. But frankly, brothers and sisters, uh, that's not scriptural. And, and, in, and in many ways, I've, I've kind of like said it and tried to be a little humorous. It's not a humorous subject, but it would be humorous if it wasn't such a serious matter you see this doctrine is what corrie ten boom and for those of you who don't know who corrie ten boom is you can google her and research her she was a, a precious woman who along with her sister uh, was arrested and and, uh, and suffered persecution under the uh, in, in the concentration camps of nazi germany uh, along with uh, the the jewish people and uh, her sister actually died in that concentration camp. And, and by an act of God and through the through the Holy Spirit, she says that uh, a clerical error occurred at the uh, concentration camp, which allowed her to be set free. And one week later, everyone in that concentration camp uh, was killed by the Nazis. So the Lord allowed her to, to be rescued and to come out and she would spend the rest of her life traveling to to many areas around the world uh where uh many many christians were suffering in africa and china and different places and we we discussed that yesterday but she felt that it was it was primarily her calling from that point on to begin to to go throughout the church and and to reveal to them what she called uh, the necessary understanding that we need to be training for what lies ahead at the end of time and what corey ten Boom called um as far as or what she said was you know her thoughts on what has come to be popularly known as the pre-tribulation rapture uh, she called it the american doctrine the Amer- america's uh doctrine that's what she called it And really she's right and, and when you actually study where the origin of this teaching is and there's you know lots of people who like to fight over it but really if you if you research it you'll see that it actually emerged in the 1830s as we as we were closing out the the 19th century into the 20th century that this doctrine began to emerge and apparently according to those who uh, who have researched it they say that it actually began with a a young girl uh amongst the denomination of the Plymouth Brethren in England And according to the dream she had, uh, a man by the name of Darby, uh, who became the father, really, or the propagator, if you will, of this doctrine, interpreted it to be a sign from the Lord, a new revelation from the Lord of a hidden doctrine that hadn't been revealed. And he said that 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 doctrine and that dream were revealing to the church what has now come to be known as as the pre-tribulation rapture. And, and he had a, a a man who heard him uh, teaching these things by the name of uh, Schofield. And Schofield uh, bought into it and came back to the United States and created a Bible called the Schofield Bible. Its first printing was in 1907, where he laid out in, in the footnotes this, this doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. And the second edition of that Bible was 1917. And it began to be uh, a sweeping kind of uh, teaching that, that began to take hold in the seminaries and amongst many pastors in the early 1900s, in the 20th century. And and really, uh, it, it, it has swept all the way into the 21st century. It's almost become, and really has in many evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal circles, it's become the preeminent, uh, you know, sacred cow, if you will, uh, of the church and if you have any other point of view or you try to question it they get incredibly angry and some even believe that it's a point of salvation that if you don't believe what they teach that you're not even saved well this is completely unscriptural so really it's a, it's, it's it, it it it's something that that soothes the senses and the reason that Corey Timboom called it American gospel is because we became the chief um you know, uh, disseminators of that information as our missionaries went around the world and began to go into third world nations and, and the fastest growing churches were the charismatic Pentecostal churches where this doctrine was included. In Corey Ten Boom's case, as we studied yesterday, she told of a story uh, in 1949, just before Mao Zedong overthrew uh, China and in, implemented the uh, draconian communist party there. Uh, that the early church had already been infected with it amongst the Chinese believers. And that they were being taught that before any kind of persecution or tribulation would come, that the church was going to be taken away. And when Mao rose up and 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 really hundreds of thousands of Christians suffered intense persecution, many having to, uh, you know, make the ultimate sacrifice in laying down their lives for the gospel – the pastor, the bishop that she quoted, basically said, I wish that we had taught our people about how to endure and stand rather than teaching them this false doctrine uh, that they were gonna be taken out of here before anything horrible happened. And that haunted Miss Tenboom Boom and, and drove her forward as she went and shared that story all over the world. But really, in essence, it's a feel-good escapist teaching which has worked in effect, if you think about it, to put the the modern-day American church to sleep, absolute sleep, because after all, you know, <laughs> they've got it all figured out, right? And, and why should I care about end-time events or, or prophetic scriptures or anything like that? Because it doesn't apply to me. And all it's done is put people to sleep. But really, the heat of our times, like we talked about yesterday, it has suddenly, like a snare, come upon a sleeping church, it is beginning to dawn on many people that maybe, just maybe, we don't have this quite right. Remember, our intention here with this teaching is not to uh, criticize. Our intention is to speak in all humility and, and, and in the fear of God. What we humbly submit to you is what we are hearing in our own heart. And what I am, what we are hearing uh, is that the church is woefully unprepared, completely unprepared to deal with what I believe and and I, I know my brothers believe has already begun. And it's going to increase more and more in these days ahead. Again, today we're going to look at what we believe the Bible says about it. Because our hope and our security is in is in the Scripture, not in men's opinions, but what the plain sense of the Scripture says. And so, with that in mind, brother Jeremy, would you uh, would you again read to us Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one and two, please?
0: Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand
1: again as we've been talking about you know the the, the early uh, church is a foreshadow of the end time church this is biblical um the way the, the Bible teaches us to, to 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 learn from the Scripture. We we refer you that are listening and following along to Isaiah 46. The prophet Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10, there's a principle laid out there that that the Lord declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet come to pass. It is with that understanding that when we look at the early church, what we are actually seeing, though the historical account of what actually happened to those believers is, in the plain sense, something that actually happened. We need to understand it from the point of view of the prophetic, and as the Bible teaches us to look on their example, like Brother Fernando has been talking about uh, in quoting the Apostle Paul and what he said to the Thessalonian church that they had entered into that prophetic type and had indeed become examples. And so when we look at the beginning, what we are actually seeing is a miniature picture of what the Bible predicted would actually take a fuller expression uh, at the end of time. And so what we want to notice from that is that when Paul is writing these letters, he's actually unveiling an incredible amount of detail that obviously didn't apply to their time, yet he included it within their understanding, within the scope and and the reference, the framework of their understanding. Understand that many people had come, because when you read 1 Thessalonians, for example, you'll see revealed there in chapter four when he begins to uh, deal with the question of the resurrection. And in the question of the resurrection, he begins to reveal to the early church not for them not to sorrow, that there was coming a day when we would all be reunited again. But then he talks to them about the coming of the Lord and how the Lord will come. And we'll look at that in a in a little bit here. But the point of the matter is, is that once he left and was gone and had written that first letter, there were false prophets, false teachers that came in amongst the church and began to distort the prophetic teachings that Paul had left behind. They began to have their own take upon it. Began to twist the scripture and began to tell things to the church that began to confuse them and trouble them. And some were even saying the resurrection was already past, and others were saying other things. But and others were saying that Jesus was going to come at any moment. And so what Paul did in response to that was write Second Thessalonians, where he actually enlarges it even more, like Brother Jeremy. Uh, just read now i want to i want us to notice something from verse one notice how paul and remember what we're studying here the rapture and 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 does the bible teach a pre-tribulation rapture we're going to lay out some scriptural foundations here to first today begin to look at is this true does the bible teach a a secret coming of the lord to take away his church followed by seven years where all hell breaks loose on the face of the planet while we're up having dinner. Uh, I mean, then just putting it as plain as I can put it. Does it teach that? Because that's what they tell us. No, it doesn't. But we're going to see. Now, look, this is what he's addressing. And so when we look at verse 1, notice how Paul framed this. Can you read verse 1 again, Brother Jeremy?
0: Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So. Notice the order that he takes here, because
1: just in the plain rendering of what we just read here, this totally alone, this totally uh, contradicts the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Remember what they teach us in that camp. They teach us that that Jesus is going to come and take us away first, and then seven years later, we're going to come back, and they call that the second coming. But Paul blows that out of the water in the way that he presents the coming of the Lord. In verse 1, he says, We beseech you, brothers, by the coming of the Lord. So he identifies the second coming first, then he says, and by our gathering together unto him. Notice he didn't reverse the order. He didn't say, Brothers, we beseech you by our gathering together unto the Lord and his second coming. That's not what he said. Paul said, I want to address you from the point of view of the second coming of the Lord, which will happen when he comes. And when he comes, he goes on to say, then we're gathered together unto him. This alone contradicts the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Because they place our gathering together as some sort of a secret thing, followed by those seven years we've been talking about, and then the coming of the Lord. But that's not how Paul said it. It's also found there in the gathering together something very interesting. It's it's the Greek word. Now this is a hard one to say, but it's the word epi soon agage. That's how you say it. Epi soon agage. And what that literally means is, is he, he's, he's talking about the completed collection of the saints. And again, remember, he's referencing 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he had first taught them that the dead in Christ would rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, which is the same phrase he's using here. And the word that he uses here is a completed collection of the saints. He was referencing what he had taught them before. And it's interesting that the Greek means it's a completed collection. It's it's all the saints of all the eras of the church that will be gathered together to meet the Lord at his coming. Nowhere here in verse 1 do you see implied a secret snatching away of the church. That is not how he presented it. Now, let's go on into verse 2. Can you read verse 2 again, Brother Jeremy?
0: Yes. Ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand.
1: Again, he takes us further in our understanding. He now uh, labels it as the day of Christ the day of the anointed one. It's the same thought. The coming of the Lord is the day of Christ. And the day of Christ is that, I, I don't know if you mentioned it yesterday on our podcast or off the air, Brother Fernando, but we talked about the day of the Lord, you know, the day of God. You know, it's it's, a, it's an ultimate term. It references the the actual day of the outpouring of the wrath of God upon the earth. The day of Christ. Now, listen, they were being flooded with all kinds of false teachings, like we said, concerning the Lord's return. Sounds a lot like the day, but Paul chooses to clarify it because he uses that, that additional term to the coming of the Lord and identifies it with the day of Christ. They're the same event. Now, I want to ask this question, and it's something Brother Fernando pointed out the other day. Where did Paul get this understanding? I mean, was it downloaded into him or something? I mean, where did he get it? Did he have a dream? I mean, where did he get this? Uh, Like Brother Fernando pointed out recently, the Apostle Paul was totally a student of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, especially on these matters of end-time events. And that is where he got his understanding for. So let us, therefore... As we did yesterday in our podcast let's see what the lord jesus christ teaches about his coming let's take a look Brother jeremy could you turn over to matthew 24 please and let's take a look at this very fascinating how the lord teaches it could you read to us uh verse
0: 21 through 27. yes for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not for there shall arise false christ and false prophet and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if they were possible they shall deceive the very elect behold i have told you before wherefore if they shall say unto you behold he is in the desert go not forth behold he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning coming cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Wow,
1: so there's a lot there, but let's take a look at this and break down what the Lord is teaching here. And, and first of all, he, he begins to identify uh, a, a time of great tribulation. We know from other scriptures that for instance in in the book of revelation chapter 13 i believe it's verse 5 uh that is the actual time of the antichrist that is the time when he will uh take his place in the great tribulation it's called it is the final 42 months of human history where he takes over the reins of of a global empire and begins to implement uh his satanic directive from his father the devil himself as he becomes possessed Uh, With that spirit from the bottomless pit, which you'll find and can read about him in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. Uh, He's called Abaddon. He's called Apollyon. He's loosed and he goes into perdition. He goes into the son of perdition. He goes actually into the body that becomes the body of the Antichrist. He merges himself with a so far yet unidentified human being that then becomes fully possessed by this Spirit. That is what triggers the the Great Tribulation uh, when the Antichrist comes to power and he he begins to to show forth many things, which we won't get into today. We're going to explore that tomorrow. But let's go from there, because he says what's going to happen, he says in verse 21, is that there has never been a time like this up until that point, he says, when he's speaking these words to his disciples from the Mount of Olives. And he says that there will never be another time like it. That's what's headed to the planet in the the not-too-distant future. And he says, so intense will these days be. He says that, that it will require the shortening of those days in order to preserve what he says here in verse 22. Except those days should be shortened, there will no flesh be saved. But then he says this. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So the first thing that we see that Paul is drawing a parallel from in First Thessalonians chapter 4, when he said uh, that the dead in Christ will rise first, he says, but then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The word "we who who are alive and remain" literally means uh, "we who are alive and have survived." That's what that word "remain" means in First Thessalonians chapter four, sixteen through eighteen. When you read through there, and you look up the word "we who are alive and remain," you'll see that word literally means uh, "survived," and 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 so it's an elect group of people that the Lord comes and cuts it short. And <laughs> so we have to ask the question. You know, concerning the elect, because in the pre-tribulation rapture, they teach that the elect that Jesus is referring to, because they try to do a tap dance around what Jesus is teaching here. And they say, oh, oh, he's he's talking about the Jews. The Jews are called the elect. Well, is that true? Are only the Jews called the elect? Brother Jeremy, turn over to Colossians chapter 3, would you, real quick? And let's see. Let's see if that's
2: that's, if, a, that's a good point too, brother, that you brought up because that that was the word that I was focused on when you read Matthew yeah. uh, 24 for the elect's sake. There's much confusion mm. over that particular word um, as to who it refers to. Obviously, a, a pre-tribulational um, a believer will say that to Israel, uh, and, and it keeps their their belief and doctrine consistent. Um, but if challenged, and it's, it can easily be challenged, by who? Yes. By us? No, by the Word. By the word, word interprets words, yes. right? Let the yes. Bible interpret the Bible. Let us not twist the Word to fit our opinion or, or our belief or our notion of what we think the Bible is saying. So, yes. I, and I think I know where you're headed. So, so, so again, and, and, and when challenged, this causes a lot of people to fear. Again, it's the yeah. word. We're letting the word interpret the word. We're, we're causing yeah. no violence to it, and in understanding these terms, because I think we need to uh, redefine the terms correctly, uh, uh, and and then and then the, the end time uh, 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 timing of of end time events will make more sense, and and so so. We're interpreting the word with the word, so we have to understand what what this word elect means and who it is referring to.
1: Praise God! No, that's an excellent point. And so, what we're going to show you with this scripture in Colossians chapter three verse twelve is that is that what the pre tribulation tribulation camp, like Brother Fernando was saying, teaches is that the elect that's being referred to here by the Lord is exclusively the Jews. But that's not true, mm-hmm. because in, in Colossians three twelve how is the Gentile church referred to,
0: Brother Jeremy? Could you read that to us? Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. Amen.
1: So in addressing the Gentile church at Colossae, Paul uses the very term that the Lord uses. But he calls the church, the Gentile church there, the elect of God. So if you're going to tell me that the elect here only refers to the Jews, that's incorrect. Because the Gentile church is referred to as the elect of God. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. So we have an issue here. Yes. Right? There's an <laughs> issue here. And, and and they go as far as to, because of, of, of their... Um, understanding of, of these terminologies to say that the whole Mount the discourse of Matthew 24 is only dedicated to Jews. Right. Now, Matthew, I believe, is the only gospel that uses the the name church or the term church. Mm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Out, out of all the four gospels. So it's, it's, it's the book of Matthew or the Gospel of Matthew for Jews only, or is Matthew twenty-four for Jews only? No, because he's speaking to the future church there. That's right. The twelve, right? Um, so yeah. it's so that's how far they go as to making that uh, that Mount the discourse just a Jewish gospel.
1: And, and the reason they do that, like you were pointing out, is because the way the Lord teaches. Uh, his second coming, it flies in the face of their pre-tribulation rapture. It flies in the face of, of what they teach, which is that the church will be taken out of here and the Jew left alone. I mean, think of the horror me, of that. And, <laughs> and let me
2: clarify one last time, Brother Marty. The only <laughs> time the word church is used in the four gospels is in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. That's
0: right.
2: Okay? Only in the gospel of Matthew will you find the word church. So we have to again, if they're saying that uh, that Matthew twenty four is only for the Jews, but Matthew is the only gospel where you find the word church use, we have to really analyze exactly what, what this word elect means. And yes. and if it if it means he's speaking to both Jews and Gentiles, that changes everything concerning Matthew twenty four.
1: Radically so. And and Brother Jeremy, could you look up the word elect for us, the word that Jesus used as elect, and and see what it actually says?
0: Yeah, I just looked it up, and it means to be elected of God. Let me see here. Let me go to it again. You're talking about the word found in verse 24? Elect?
1: Yes, the elect in verse 22, yes.
0: Okay. Both. Yeah, it means chosen. Picked out. It needs to be mm-hmm. picked out, chosen. Um, let's see what else here. Yeah, those that are called by God are are chosen, are elect of God. That's right. you. So,
1: so then what we're being told by the Lord isn't that there's some, you know, special uh that is only applied to the Jews. It means it to be, like you said, picked out or chosen. So literally what he's saying is that except those days should be shortened, there would no flesh be saved. But for the chosen's sake, those days shall be mm-hmm. shortened. The picked
0: out one. Yeah. Right? It, it also it also says here too, um, oh, correct. Christians are called chosen or elect of God. That's what it says here. Yes. Christians are called chosen or elect of God. So what what I understand is that that's a term used not just for uh, for Jews, it's, it's for Christians in general. Mm-hmm. All of those that are called, that follow God, that's what the Christians are called or chosen or elect of God.
1: Right, and what we know from the Bible is that the chosen, the called, the members of the church are made up of both Jew and Gentile. So to exclusively say, in their dispensational teaching the way they teach it from Schofield's Bible primarily to exclusively say that it that Jesus was only referring to the nation of Israel then then that would uh, be doing violence to the plain meaning of the, uh, of the, of the Bible here and what the word elect actually means because it literally means those that are picked out and chosen as part of of the church of God really as brother Fernando was talking about concerning the church as well so we, we're we're belaboring this ver- this twenty second verse to begin with primarily because it's it's one of the most important points that they try to cling to, but they can't do right. that intellectually honestly. They might disagree with you, but they can't do that honestly. Not as they are are being honest with what the Lord is revealing here. Were you gonna say something, brother? Yeah, but
0: another thing is uh, what Paul says to the Galatians. I don't know if we could connect it here, but when he tells them that there is in chapter three twenty eight. There is no there is neither Jew nor Greek. Right? You know, for you're you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right. And if good. ye be Christ, then are then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here Paul is saying there's no distinction anymore when you are in Christ, whether you're Jew or Greek, you are of Christ one.
1: That's correct. And that's a good point to make. Again, we're 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 simply uh we we're, we're, this is neither the forum uh and we don't have the time to go to all the various scriptures but what we're trying to do is to is to cause you to at least go dig yourself and 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 uh and then you know listen to these podcasts and say okay are these brothers teaching us the word <laughs> are they actually are they saying what they say yes and does the bible actually say what it's saying yes and it's why we've come to these 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 uh these obvious conclusions uh when you look at the scripture itself and see what it's saying and what it's teaching uh again remember what paul said when we first started our bible study today he identified the coming of the lord with the day of christ and one of the mistakes that they make is what is the day of christ you know it's multiple uh, events and 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 jesus gives the systematic uh unfolding of those events in what we're exploring right now. So the first thing he says is the days are going to be so horrible that it's going to require the second coming of the Lord in order to put a stop to uh what's actually happening on the planet. And when he comes, uh it, it, he's going to do so primarily for those that are alive and remain. That's what Paul was getting his teaching from right here in verse 22. He, who he's referring to is the elect. And really what the elect is, as we were just saying, uh the plain meaning of the word is those that are picked out and chosen from amongst the great tribulations uh church that's that's has endured and survived. They've actually managed to stay alive by the grace of God. You know, it's an mm-hmm. interesting point that I've never really fully thought through, but just something I'll throw out there. Um it's very interesting that the Lord um uh, has a generation of believers that he teaches us here uh that are not appointed unto death. It's it's very interesting because that's o- that's that's only one group of people in the history of the Bible that I can think of other than maybe Enoch and Elijah, right, who were caught up without having passed away foreshadows of these elect. It's very interesting uh, that that there is a special category of people that Paul ended up teaching about, which I believe he got from here, uh, that will survive all the way through to the second coming of the Lord. In spite of what's breaking loose upon the planet, the judgments, the vials, all this stuff that the book of Revelation talks about, this group is preserved by God, made up of Jew and Gentile. It is his church. It's a fascinating thing that they will be changed, as Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? They're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal will put on immortality. But he teaches there that we will not precede the dead in Christ. So what that teaches us is, and, and remember what we're saying here, is that the resurrection and the rapture are one and the same thing. And he teaches that from this perspective, that the dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, the Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, the timing is what we're talking about. Because if we are expecting to be taken off the planet and the resurrection is supposed to occur at that time, the Bible doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach that there'll be seven years after that, and then he comes again. Because the second coming is the resurrection of the Lord, the first resurrection, which we'll get into here in a second. Were you going to say something, Brother Fernando?
2: No, I was was going to say something uh, a little – well, it's it's in line, but I don't want to get off course too much. Um, uh, You know, we're talking about the elect's sake, right? Yeah, um, and, and and trying to uh find out who they are. Uh again, uh pre tribulational teachers teach that the church is not uh mentioned here, nor is Matthew twenty four geared towards the church, but towards uh the Jews only. But uh just, just food for thought, um one of the verses when I was studying Matthew twenty four and and you know, and, and studying the pre tribulational uh teaching because that's, that's, that's the way I was taught. Uh, but the one the verse in Matthew 24 that never really, really aligned with what what they said or taught was uh, verse 31, uh, where it yeah. says this. And well, let's wait. Wait, his... wait a minute. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's why, I, yeah, that's yeah. why I, want, I, don't, I don't want to make sure I, we stay in line. So, but, uh,
1: um, oh, and I want you to comment yeah, on we, that We, that we could
2: come back there. to it later. No worries.
1: No, that's where we're headed. <laughs> so, okay. and we're going to, I stopped at 27 just to lay out what we're talking about, but i save your thought because when we get there, I'd like to hear what you have to say on that. So we, we've talked about the elect. Now Absolutely. let's go on because what he's talking about now, listen, when he talks about the elect and those days being made short, we go to, uh, uh verse 23 through 26. Read that to us real quick, brother Jeremy, 23 through 26. It's got me on so,
0: sorry. Sorry. I know
1: what you're saying, (laughs) brother. Don't worry, man.
0: Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall rise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, i have told you before mm-hmm. wherefore if they shall say unto you behold he is in the desert go not forth behold he is in the secret chambers believe it not
1: believe it not so listen to what he's saying here we've already addressed the elect he talks about the great tribulation he talks about how horrible it's going to be and then he tells him look Uh, You know, those days are going to be cut short for the chosen, selected ones who have survived through all this. I'm coming to get them. Then he digresses and begins to address, if you look at it here, he begins to reveal false doctrine concerning his return. That's what he begins to talk about. If they say I'm here or they say I'm there, uh, you know, uh, don't believe it. He begins, it's very interesting because he begins to deal with his second coming. And 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 but he prefaced it by saying, "There's a great tribulation, and there's an elect that are going to make it through, and I'm coming for them." But he's he's beginning to form a teaching, a doctrine to his disciples, and revealing to them. And then he then he right away in verse 23 he begins to deal with false doctrine concerning his return for his church. And look what he says in, in verse 23: If they say I'm here or I'm over there. Don't believe it. And in verse twenty-four, he connects that kind of thinking and distortion of the coming of Christ to false prophets, and and that they'll show signs and great signs and wonders, so that it, it if it was possible to deceive the very elect. So, <clears throat> this seems to indicate a separation that will occur within the expectant uh, religious, if you will? Because what are they talking about? They're talking about Christ. Right. And they're talking, right? They're talking about Christ. If any man tells you in verse 23, Christ is here or Christ is there, that's prophetic teaching. They're teaching prophecy. And they're talking about Christ. So these are obviously people that are in the religious community of what is called Christians. He then begins to identify them in verse 24 as false anointed ones, false prophets, and he ties them to the charismatic and Pentecostal movement, falsely so-called, at the end of time. Because what is driving this has emerged out of, in its fullness, really, out of the charismatic, and Pentecostal churches, although it was driven early on by the Baptist seminaries out of Dallas and so forth and so on, as we went through the 20th century. But it's primarily known uh, in its fullness. At least that's you know what's where it really emanates from nowadays are from those who control the the global Christian media, which is which is wholly owned, lock, stock, and barrel for the most part, the biggest channels at least and the biggest platforms uh, by Pentecostal and Charismatic establishment. And it's interesting that he ties prophetic teaching to those who claim to have signs and wonders among them. And that their teaching and their signs and wonders, which are in addition to their teaching, begin to seem to legitimize their end-time teaching about the Lord. And he says, so strong will be that delusion that if it was possible, it would deceive the elect. That is those who understand the proper... Uh, uh, you know, exegesis, for lack of a,
0: <laughs>
1: of a better word. I mean, the, that is, you know, the the proper breaking down of how he taught. He says, it's interesting in verse 24, I mean, 23, again, He, he after revealing uh, the end times and the great tribulation, and all that kind of stuff, he then transitions right away and begins to show and expose to us that teachings will begin to emerge, prophetic teachings, because they're dealing with Christ. See, whenever you see in the Bible the term Christ, it's referring to to Christ in heaven. Whenever you see uh, the Lord in the earth, he's called Jesus Christ. When it's referring to his position in heaven, he's addressed as Christ in heaven. And so when he's talking about if any man in verse 23 tells you Christ is here or Christ is there, don't believe it. And, And then he goes on to say, uh, there's going to be many false uh, Christ, many false anointed ones, many false prophets. and 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 the pretext of their prophetic teachings about the Christ are going to be connected to signs and wonders. To me, now this is just my thought and my speculation. I'm not saying this is, you know, concrete Lord. But the way I read it here, it is quite possible that what he was revealing to us is that there would be a move in the last days uh, Toward signs and wonders amongst the economy of of the religious system driven by prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord, and that it would be that false pretext of signs and wonders that would cause great deception to come, so that if it was possible. Those that are chosen and elected by God, which is an innumerable host, by the way. We're not like trying to distinguish one group from another. We're just simply saying the body of Christ is mysterious and mystical. You can't point to it here or there. God knows where his saints are. God knows who they are, but he's identifying that so strong will be this kind of teaching that will emerge that if it was possible, it would work to deceive, but it's not going to. He knew that there would be those where he goes on to say in verse 25 to pay attention to it because he says, remember, I told you this was going to happen. I think when we saw that doctrine emerge out of England, cross the ocean and come to the shores of the American church that would become the most powerful uh, media driven establishment church that would affect the whole world. That when it came across the ocean and began to be circulating amongst our seminaries and then ultimately spilling over into in a great way to the prophetic conferences of the charismatic and Pentecostal movements, that it was designed specifically to deceive and to put an entire uh, church world asleep so that it would come upon us, the end times, that is, as a snare that he taught. And so he's alerting us here. He says, I've told you this is gonna happen before. And then he double downs in verse 26, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He emphasizes, I told you before. And remember, it's the same thing that Paul said, we read in in, remember on Monday, when he was telling them about the persecutions and the tribulations and all that. And he says, we told you this would happen before. He's using the same language that Jesus used. Read that to us, brother, before I go on from here real quick. In 1 Thessalonians chapter three, verse three and four, listen to the language. He's using the same language as the Lord. He says, The Lord tells us, I told you about this before. Paul says the same thing right there in First Thessalonians chapter three.
0: Verse three and four. Yes,
1: and listen for the I told you
0: before part because that's what he's saying. Yes. (laughs) For no man that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, We told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. And you know. And so he's tying
1: in-time events, and he's actually using the same language that the Lord used. You know, the Lord said, look, I've told you this before, so that you'll be alerted and watching. And, And he uses the same kind of language. I know, like Brother Fernando pointed out astutely the other day, that he studied these and knew these things. You know, he was very familiar with the teachings of the Lord, especially concerning in-time events, and upon those teachings, the Lord opened up to him First and Second Thessalonians in such a way that is so incredibly profound in what we're looking at. So again, let's go back to Matthew 24 and look again. Study this out and meditate correctly, and you'll see the Lord is revealing quite possibly these erroneous doctrines about his second coming, and he says, look. In verse 26, he doubles down. Could you read verse 25 and
0: 26 to us again, Brother Jeremy? Matthew 24. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. This is one of
1: the primary primary teachings of this pre-tribulation rapture uh, movement is they teach a secret coming of the Lord, right?
0: Right. You're familiar that's with it, it, right? Yes. That <laughs> no one Lord, knows he's going to come, and right. no one's going to be, like mysteriously people are going to disappear, and, yeah. and God is, is, is totally, Jesus is obliviating that that type of, he's, it's not something secret, it's something that's going to be seen. Hallelujah.
1: <laughs> that's what he's teaching. Cause that's why he uses that very phrase there in verse 26, in the desert. What, what's the desert? It's an isolated place. He's saying this ain't going to be no isolated incident.
0: And then, <laughs> he says, then, mm-hmm.
1: then he doubles down and says the secret chamber. You know, another again, it's not going to be a hidden event. That's what he's teaching. Right. right. He says if you right. hear that kind of doctrine and you hear that kind of teaching, he says, do not believe it. And then then he doubles, then he really, you know, presses it and says, when I come, it's going to be like this. That's what he says in verse 27. Read that, Brother Jeremy.
0: For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be the sudden. Morning. It's going to be, yes, sir.
2: Uh, going back on the the desert the isolated place and the secret chamber um would you guys agree that it, 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 he's also referring to that you know there's going to be doctrines in the last day that are going to be a private interpretation concerning the coming of the lord that's why he he points to the desert like lo, he is over there you're going to find the true answer in this isolated doctrine or in this secret chamber doctrine um, and, and, you know, and people are going to be saying that I have the, the answer to, uh, the end times. I have the doctrine for the end times. Right. And, and I'm reminded of, I'm reminded of, uh, Peter where he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. whereunto mm-hmm. unto ye do well that ye take heed. Again, he's telling us, take heed. Why? Why, why, why do the apostles speak like that? Because of false doctrine. Yeah. It says, "As unto a light that shineth, it's a light. This prophecy is a light. It's not in a secret chamber. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not in the desert. That's shining in a dark place. Unto the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, right?" For the prophecy Amen. came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So yes, he's, he's, he, the Lord is 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 telling us about these false doctrines that would arise, signs and wonders, people saying, "Look, the answer is over there in the desert. The answer is going to be in this secret chamber." And the Lord tells us, "No, take heed, be aware. You know, yeah. it's in yeah. my Word.
1: In other words, it's in my Word." Amen. <laughs> and, and again, verse 26, you know, uh, what you're saying there, it's not an isolated thing, whether it's a doctrine that teaches, that makes it exclusive, right? I mean, you know, we've got the truth. Yeah, we yeah, have, the exclusivity, correct?
2: Yeah. Right.
1: right. That's what you're saying. And, and that does no violence to it. I mean, the spirit of that is there. That's literally what he's saying, because it's wrapped up in teaching. That's what he's saying. False prophets, yeah. false anointed yeah. ones, right? It's all wrapped yeah. up in teaching. And so that's, that's in essence, what he's saying when he goes into verse 27 and says, look, you ain't going to have to wonder <laughs> if I've come. Right. There ain't going to be no secret about this. I'm coming. Right, and, right. and how we know this is at the bottom of verse 27, where he says, I'm coming as the son of man.
0: Hallelujah. He's, identi-
1: he's identifying himself there as the coming judge. That's the term that's given in the book of Daniel for the ultimate judge. He says, when I come, it's the day of judgment. I'm coming to judge the ungodly, and I'm coming to rescue my church that's alive and, and remaining. And this is the resurrection. He then goes into, which is where we're headed now. Would you read to us verse 28, Brother Jeremy? Yes.
0: For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together.
1: So he, he as he's revealing this, he, he says, look, Verse 27 is basically a, a uh, an answer to the false teachings of verse 23 through 26 that teach a secret kind of, you know, uh, appearance of the Lord. Because that's what all these things have in common, is is the doctrine is a secret doctrine, a secret appearance. Like he's over here. He's over there. He's, he's in secret. That's what they teach. He's coming in secret. But then he said, no, no, I don't believe that. And then he kind of like, you know, Uh, counterbalances that by making a statement. When I come, it's going to be obvious, like the lightning shining from the east to the west, it's going to be global. That's what he says. Mm -hmm. Then, in verse 28, he is consistent with what the book of Revelation reveals because he begins to identify the great uh, war of Armageddon by calling it wherever the carcass is and, and really, that that that's really not a good translation. Where it says the eagles will be gathered together, it, it, if you look it up, it 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 actually means vultures, yeah. isn't that right, brother Jeremy? Yeah,
0: that's, that's
2: mm-hmm. true. Or Roman or some up, Roman military.
1: Yes, we could look at it that way too.
0: Um, you know. Yes, so, but, but it, in, it says uh, this made to a vulture that resembles an eagle. Yes. Yeah.
1: So what is a, then, vo- then a vulture? A vulture is a carnivorous animal, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: it it, it right. waits for the kill. So he's he he still hasn't come, but he's he's really pressing down now, and and, and he's saying, look, uh, this has to happen too. There's going to be this. He he describes it as a carcass falling, and then the gathering together of the vultures uh, to eat basically. You can you can interpret it as well, spiritually speaking, like Brother Fernando just said, if you want to look at it from the perspective of the eagle, you're talking about a global empire. Because really, as the Bible teaches us, and like I said, we ain't got time to get all exhaustive about this today. There's plenty of time going forward, we pray, in the days to come. But you know, each one of these is an isolated subject all its own. But what we're to look for, again, what we're talking about and what we're laying out the case here for is this doctrine of an escapist thing ain't going to happen. And we're giving you the, the, the words of the Lord himself here. So when we look at it from this perspective, in the flow of of Scripture with Scripture, he now begins to identify the war of Armageddon. And, and, and he's preceding that, or he puts that forth before he actually appears. So he tells them, look, where the carcass is, that's where the vultures will be gathered. And Brother Jeremy, let's look at that because because he reveals what, what John would later reveal in the book of Revelation concerning this. In the book of Revelation, this event that Jesus is pointing to in verse 28 is actually what the book of Revelation calls the great supper of God. Take a look at this thing. in Revelation chapter 19. Can you look at that, Brother Jeremy?
0: Yes, yes.
1: And and notice how this is described uh, in
0: verse uh, 17 and 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings And the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great.
1: So there in the book of Revelation, if you read just above that, you see that the Lord is in preparation for his second coming. And Revelation chapter nineteen eleven through there we didn't have time to read all that but go back and study it yourselves you're gonna see that the Lord is now sitting on a white horse he's preparing to come to the earth but prior to that you know he's he's being readied we have verse seventeen and eighteen there describing that there's going to be this great call uh, of, of the spirit of God to the fowls of this heaven because this war that's been predicted this final war that centers itself around Israel and Jerusalem itself, which we'll look at tomorrow because it ties into the Antichrist. I know some of your heads are spinning right now, but follow along, pause, look up the scriptures. I think you'll find an incredibly fascinating study here. So now let's go back to chapter 24, bearing in mind what we just read there. This is what Jesus is identifying, and we're getting closer to his coming as he's revealing it step by step. Verse 28 For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles or the vultures be gathered. He's referencing that great supper of God. This is Armageddon. Now read to us, Brother Jeremy, verse 29 and verse 30, would you?
0: Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens. Shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory.
1: There he is. Now, isn't it interesting when we first started uh, reading uh, what we just read in Revelation nineteen seventeen about this great supper? We see an angel standing in the sun right revelation 19:17. that's what we just read there's an angel standing in the sun i'm just wondering if, he, if he's the one who darkens the sun who knows you know i'm just saying but listen uh, what he goes on to say is immediately after the tribulation of those days he's talking about armageddon which we just read about and, and notice how quickly the succession is this armageddon event Uh, causes the the, the actual universe itself, the solar system, uh, to be affected. And when he talks about verse 29, the powers of heaven shall be shaken, he's talking about the very substrate, if you will, the very building blocks of the material universe, the atmosphere around the earth. All of it begins to tremble. Why? Verse 30, because the Lord is coming, the Son of Man, the sign of the Son of Man. Uh, and we ain't got time to get into all that. It's very fascinating. Hopefully, we'll look at those things in the coming days. But but then uh, we have the tribes of all the earth mourning when they see him coming. Remember what we started out reading in Second Thessalonians? When he's talking to the Thessalonian church, he says, look, uh, I beseech you, brethren, by what? By the coming of the Lord. Let's interpret Scripture with Scripture. It's the same phraseology when they see the Son of Man coming, and then he references clouds in heaven and great glory. And I'll let Brother Fernando take it from here in verse thirty-one. Tell us what you see. Are you there?
2: <laughs> it's the words that uh, the Apostle Paul used um, uh, in First Thessalonians chapter four, I think, fifteen. Verse fifteen through seventeen, uh, we yeah. see the same words being used there again, and that, and that and that and that goes back to what we were saying earlier that the apostle Paul was a student of uh, of the of the writings, of, or or the Mount Olive discourse of Matthew yeah. twenty four. Uh, we see the word angels being used, and he shall send his angels with a great mm-hmm. sound of a trumpet. So we have a sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. The word "gather" mm. is used there, from the four winds, from from one end of the heaven to the other, um, so forth and so on. Right? It, it, yeah. Oh, we see the word "clouds" in verse 30. Right? That's right. And, and the word yeah. of God says, "For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, right? And and and, yeah. and with the voice of the archangel and, and and the and the trump of God, right? And yeah. the dead yeah. in Christ shall rise." Yeah. First, yes, so forth and so on. So we see we see the same words being used in First Thessalonians chapter four that are being used in in uh, verse thirty and thirty one of Matthew twenty
1: four. Yes, yeah. so there we can identify uh, the sound of the trumpet, uh, the angels gathering the elect, the clouds. Right then, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. That all of right. this, yes, yeah, all of this is right here. And and this is how the Lord taught it. We do not see him coming until the very end, at the end of Armageddon. And and when you go over to uh, Revelation 19, it is when he comes and that Armageddon event is happening. That's when he begins to come. And when he takes his church, when he gathers them from the four corners in verse 31, right? He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. There it is and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. This is another proof text that those who teach, those dispensationalist teachings that teach that everything is about Israel right here, that's wrong. And why do I say that? Because he identifies the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. If his elect are only the Jews in Jerusalem at this time, what is he doing gathering saints from all over the world? It's the four wind. It's from one end of heaven to another. Jesus doesn't mince words here. He's talking about a global parousia, as it says, a global collection of his saints. And the angels will go get them, both Jew and Gentile. He comes to, to take his church and and, and and protect us. And the final wrath of God is then poured out. That's what we're taught. Now, let's conclude with this. And we've just laid a foundation today, <laughs> a good one, I think. But an interesting and, 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 and easily missed passage of Scripture is for further evidence of this teaching, that Jesus taught it, but he teaches it on a specific day. Paul called it the day of, of Christ, right, as the day of Christ is at hand. That is the day where Christ, the anointed one, comes back from heaven, the earth now there's something interesting that occurred and i want to take a look at it it's in john's gospel chapter 11 brother jeremy would you turn over there because it's found in the story of lazarus and the raising of lazarus from the dead take a look at this from this perspective that we're talking about here could you read to us brother jeremy in john 11 verse 21 through 26 and we're almost done But I I find this subject incredibly fascinating and vital to where we are right
0: now. We need to understand these things. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day, at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. it, thou this? Wow. All right. Let's take a look at this. Well, first and foremost, it's
1: interesting because what the Bible teaches us is that there are actually two resurrection events. And the first resurrection is for the saints, but there's a second resurrection. And that is the great judgment. But Jeremy, read that to us, would you? Uh, and we'll go back to here real quick. Read us in uh, chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, verse five and six. Take a look at this.
0: But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years.
1: So what we're being taught here and what's being identified in revelations chapter 20 is something called the first resurrection and he says that you want to have part of that <laughs> that's what he's saying he calls it the very first resurrection so if the dead in christ rise first and we which are alive and are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord at the rapture then that is the event that the bible itself interprets as the first resurrection. Martha understood it. The early church understood it. Paul called it the day of Christ. And so it is that first resurrection that's tied to the catching away of the church. And the timing of it, Jesus just showed us, is at the end of the great tribulation, just prior to the pouring out of the wrath, he sends forth his angels to gather his saints in the clouds with a great trumpet like Paul revealed. And so now let's go back to John chapter 11 and see uh, what Martha is saying here. Uh, it's very interesting because the resurrection of Lazarus is a foreshadow of that first resurrection. Listen again, can you read that verse 23 and 24 again to us, Brother Jeremy?
0: Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. The resurrection, or the first resurrection,
1: as it's called in Revelation chapter 20, is identified uh, here by Martha as the last day. And so what we know is the last day is when the resurrection occurs. And what we see going forward in this story is Jesus doesn't correct her. He doesn't say, oh, Martha, you got your theology all wrong. There's actually a secret coming seven years before that event, and the dead in Christ are going to rise then. And then you guys who are alive and remain at that time in this secret coming, this secret rapture seven years before, you know, the tribulation is is done and completed with, you're going to rise again. To believe that is to absolutely override what the Bible is teaching us concerning the resurrection. You cannot have multiple resurrections. Do you, it, it's just not taught that way. When she identifies the resurrection as the last day and her brother rising on that day. She is literally preaching to us that that she understood the concept, as did, did the, the, that the holy saints of God in the early church, that the resurrection day is the last day when the Lord returns. Jesus doesn't correct her. And he states about himself, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says this, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And, he says, whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is an incredible thing that the Lord says. What the Lord says is very definitive in verse 25 and 26. We just read it. The Lord is saying something very revealing. He says, though he were dead. That's the first thing he says, right, in verse 25, though he were dead. And then in verse 26, he identifies another group. Whosoever liveth and believeth shall never die. It's interesting how he pointed it out because that's exactly what Paul teaches. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then verse 26, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. That's that appointed group at the end of time. And it's tied to what Martha said, the last day. And so I see right here that the Lord is is revealing to us, this is a simultaneous event. Though Lazarus is a foreshadow of it, the Lord added to it concerning the last day that Martha mentions in verse 24. Meditate on these things and you'll see what we're saying. But notice the order, the dead, then the living, both are believers. This is where Paul received his understanding. Of the dead in Christ rising first, and a group that is alive shall not die. Right? We don't be caught up together and meet the Lord in the clouds. Brother Jimmy, could you turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen and fourteen? Brothers, do you see what I'm showing here? Any thoughts on absolutely. that?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. The last day is it's referring. That's what it's, it's when you look it up. It's referring to the end of last. It's it's, it's speaking about the last in time or in place uh mm-hmm. so uh, so she's she's clearly speaking about the last you know the end of time it's, it's the, the day in question that
2: uh the apostle paul uh uh speaks about to the thessalonians uh, the day of christ the day of the lord um so it's 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 the order the lord is setting the order of these events leading up to that last day. And we know that the last day or the day of the Lord is when God's wrath is poured out, but he is telling us that these things must precede it. And the apostle Paul tells us that in first Thessalonians chapter five, that we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation. Notice he didn't say anything about tribulation or great tribulation.
1: That's a good point. You say we're yeah. not
2: appointed. We're not appointed to that wrath. It's something totally, completely that we are promised that we're not appointed to. Yeah. So what the pre-tribulational teaching says is that we're not appointed to great tribulation.
1: That's right. And even the yeah. And and that that's right, brother. That, that's an excellent point. And uh, and let's close with this in Second in, uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse verse thirteen and fourteen. Could you read that to us, brother Jeremy?
0: But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: That's powerful. And and we'll get into the rest of chapter two tomorrow, because we ended it in verse two with the day of Christ. We, we, we've we laid out, you know, a, a whole bunch of scriptures here. And we encourage you to go back and listen to these things um and, and to reflect upon them. Because when Paul, uh you know, reveals these things in verse one and two, he then goes on and says, don't let anyone deceive you. And he begins to reveal to us what the end times are actually going to be like, which includes. The revealing of the son of perdition verse 3 chapter 2 the man of sin but and then we'll discuss that i didn't want to get into that today that's the antichrist there's many people who teach in that whole camp that ah we won't even know who he is after we're gone he'll be revealed that's not true because the bible teaches us here in verse 3 let no man deceive you by any means for that day of christ which we've been talking about today And that coming up to the clouds to meet the Lord, all that stuff, it it, it will not come until there's a falling away first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Uh, So (laughs) we're still here, and and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But tomorrow, Lord willing, we're going to go all over the Scripture. So, you know, settle in, because we're going to show you as the days go by that this that we're talking to you about, can be found in virtually every single uh, uh, writing of every single prophet of the Old Testament. And it's there. The whole thing is there. It's not just, uh, you know, this New Testament that we're reading. I'm going to show you and we're going to show you. It's in Isaiah. It's in Daniel. It's in Amos. It's in Joel. It's in Habakkuk. It's in Hosea. I mean, we'll go through those things, Lord willing. I don't know how many of those books we'll cover, but but we'll be primarily looking at some profound revelation that has been tucked away and is now being made plain uh, to us upon whom the ends of the world have come. Were you going to say something, Brother Jeremy?
0: Jesus is coming for a glorious church. And and I think that we we do a disservice, (laughs) you know, a glorious church that has been through the fire through the persecute, yeah. through the through all these things, you know, I, I think I understand a little bit more when Jesus says that the the heavens suffer violence, you know, and the, and that the church we have the keys, hallelujah, we've been given the keys. Yes. And and to just to to just preach a a you know uh, uh a doctrine that oh we're not gonna be here we're not gonna go I mean what kind of church is Jesus coming from? And all the secrecy mm-hmm. that you know that it involves, I'm like, no, God is coming for a glorious church, a powerful yeah. church that has been through the fire, that's been proven, and 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 something glorious is going to happen, even in all of this. And that's what we see, and that's who is Jesus is coming for. And you know, and that's powerful, brother Jeremy, amen.
1: And what he says here in verse 14 really jumped out to me today when we were preparing where paul you know after concluding all these things in the first letter he wrote to them in the second letter he writes to them uh when he gets to this point in verse 14 he's already talked about some very other profound things the falling away the revealing of the antichrist the working of the devil um you know the the mystery of iniquity all those things will examine by the grace of god if he allows us to the strong delusion which i think this this teaching is part of this strong delusion that they might believe a lie. But Paul says, "I've laid out to you that you were appointed unto these times," he says, "and that there were there were certain things that you are going through right now." He says, "But they are the manifest token of the righteous judgment of God." In other words, you have become the object, uh, the the proof text, the uh, <laughs> the example. I forget the evidence. I think Brother Fernando called it yesterday of why God uh, is righteous in His judgment. Uh, what the enemy is allowed to inflict upon the early church as well as this end-time church is but for a short moment. But Paul anchors their mind and says, remember, in verse 14, he says, you were called by our gospel. In other words, you got saved by what we've been teaching you. And and in in uh, in verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I've told you all these things. In other words, I haven't preached anything that that is now happening to you or will happen in the far distant future. He's talking to us. He says, this is the gospel. This is a war. This is, this is the, what is being birthed, what is coming. We're on, the, we're on the outer fringes of it, church. Yes, it's going to be intense. And yes, it's going to be uh, you know mind-boggling. Jesus described it as something at, that has never been since the beginning of the world and will never be again. But he promises to keep his elect. He promises to protect his people. Some will make the ultimate sacrifice. Some will not. Whatever the case, Paul said, you were called by that kind of preaching. Verse 14. He called you by our gospel. Because what you're going to obtain, he says, is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we are witnessing are the final death throes of a rebellious, formerly anointed cherub who so magnificently fell by reason of the iniquity that was found in him. He brought down an entire universe and plunged into darkness the marvelous expressions of the initial creation of God and in so doing became the caretaker of sin and death but God, hallelujah, understood in his omniscience all of this would happen. And, and and so Calvary became the defining moment. In the fullness of time, the Bible says, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus said. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then he rose on the third day and became the beginning of the creation of God. He became the one who declared that all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Jesus stripped him of every power. Yes, he bruised his heel, as was prophesied in the Garden of of Eden uh, to the woman Eve. Uh, he bruised his heel, yes, but he destroyed his his head. That's what the Bible means, that through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And what we are witnessing right now as the world is moving headlong into a discernible and and most incredible sense that many of us are feeling, that it has begun. And we are witnessing it. Uh, it has come to, to rest in our shores right now. I mean, we're witnessing a fight between light and darkness right now, but what you're witnessing is the attempt, the moving of of the dragon and the beast to finally enslave the whole world. But God's people are not without hope, and they are not without the information necessary to, to, to understand these days. They were predicted. They were prophesied. They were declared by the prophets of all. And it's come to rest in our time, in our generation. And Paul said, don't forget, when all hell is breaking loose, when you're going through what you're going to see church in the next several years, quite possibly, and and really in the immediate future, we're talking about here. That's why we're preaching these things right now. We sense what's coming, and we know it's already begun. Paul says, don't forget, you got saved not by hearing some cotton candy, watered-down, egocentric-driven you know, fluffy gospel. He goes, I gave you the truth. I told you from beginning to end what was coming, that you have been part of an exclusive club called the Church of the Living God. And this is where you have taken your place now in history. Understand it, because you have become a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, and you are his children. He called you Hallelujah. by our Hallelujah. gospel, he said. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, there has been a fraud, in my opinion, yes. that's perpetrated on so many. Corey Timboom, like we said, called it the American doctrine. And because of this, many are becoming and will become disillusioned and shipwrecked in their faith. This is tragic, and this is sad. But Paul reoriented the early church so that their example would echo through the corridors of history down through the generations of every church reaching even until our time which we believe is the end of time and and he reoriented, reoriented that early church revealing that they were connected to us we're going to and and we're going to be really as i should say they were connected to us and and the way i'm thinking about it right now they were going to be our example. That's what he was telling them. That's what Brother Fernando talked about the other day. He reminded them that you were saved, you were called by our gospel. There's only one gospel, church, and the scriptures have never been hidden. The And the scriptures have never hidden the path. Remember the Lord said, what we read earlier, I told you all this before. The days our Lord Jesus and his holy prophets and apostles, his holy apostles told us about. Uh, that, that, that would come. They have begun, church. But we are not as those without understanding and hope. Our Lord is coming.
0: It won't be long. Yes. Yes. Uh, how long? Soon. <laughs> when? <laughs> be ready.
1: Uh, that is what we pray, that that he, by his blessed Holy Spirit, will grant us his grace to us so that we will be ready when he appears. It won't be long now, praise God. Yes, but by, by no means uh, do 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 uh, do we think that we could exhaust the the reflections, uh, you know, of the return of the Lord. Uh, we're giving you overviews here, but there's so much more to see. And by His grace, tomorrow we'll examine a little bit further what the Scripture teaches us concerning the Son of Perdition and the days ahead, because what Paul said, the true church. I was going to go through is it, it are the are the times that we're living in now. We are going to see these things. That wicked one will be revealed. But Daniel said the wise would understand, Daniel 12, 10. And he also said that they that understand among the people shall instruct many. That's Daniel eleven, thirty three. But my brothers, whatever and sisters and you out there in the church and our fellowship of this podcast, whatever your view is on these matters. You know, we've given you many, many scriptures to consider. If anything, we pray it motivates and stirs you to, to, to search the scriptures. See if these things be so that we're talking about, Brother Fernando and Brother Jeremy and I. But bottom line, man, our Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. Lord, help us all to be ready. So that we don't have to be ashamed when he appears in the air, in the clouds, to take us home. Even so, return, Lord Jesus, is our prayer. <laughs>
0: in yes. Jesus' name. Amen? Praise <laughs> yes. God. You know, after, after, after this podcast, whether you want to bend a knee or just lift up a holy hands to the Lord, and thank him that you belong to a glorious church. It's Today God. is not a day to be discouraged. Jesus would say, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, Because in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. I go you. to prepare. Hallelujah. I I go to prepare a place for you. Thank you. If I go and prepare a place for you, Mm -hmm. I will come again. Lord, God, receive you. Receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether, look at this now, and whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know coming back. Hallelujah. Um, Worship him. Thank him. We belong to a glorious church. And he's making clear that he's coming back again. Every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. We pray for you. Join us tomorrow as the Lord continues to speak to us And encourage you, I pray, that you've been encouraged with this podcast as God is speaking in this hour. May God bless you. May God keep you. Meanwhile, keep looking up.